Welcome. My name is Michael McDonnell. I am the cybersecurity librarian, and this is our sixth live stream. Is it the sixth one, Moro? It's either the fifth or the sixth. Uh, All right. Lost count. <laughs> we've, we've had enough to have lost count. And thank you so much, everyone, uh, for joining us. Um, tonight's topic um, is very exciting for me. Um, I think it's one of those things that when you think of IT and cybersecurity, um, you think, oh, technical topics, hard skills, project management skills. Um, but for all of the soft skills I've developed, this one has been the most impactful in my career. Um, it's also a topic where I'm not going to, I'm not going to claim to be an expert of any kind. Um, in fact, I'm not going to try to explain it too thoroughly. We've got some good resources to share with you. Um, I will describe it. And our guest tonight, uh, we brought on because, uh, it's someone we both admire and we think, uh, represents a lot of the best soft skills and uh, is sort of a great role model in the same way that last week we interviewed two people that were great role models um, for that topic. Um, tonight, uh, we have someone that is uh, a role model for that. Uh, so Moro, um, what do you want to say by way of introdu introduction of this Absolutely. topic? So yeah, like I'd mentioned uh, previous to starting this broadcast, uh, I feel in this day and age, uh, we kind of clump the old term of soft skills and use it to kind of describe even today's topic, uh, which is, I think, not doing it justice. Uh, I think in today's day and age, uh, we really need to expand beyond this whole idea of soft skills. And I feel like soft skills is, uh, I guess, clumped in as the idea of being able to communicate with other people or communicating clearly. But the reality is, you know, good communication isn't just about being able to, you know, explain a concept or to get a point across. It's actually to be, you know, quite aware of, of what you're talking about and, you know, also understanding, you know, some of your emotional impacts. So it's I think it's pretty crucial. Uh, it's certainly one of my favorite topics. Uh, I know some of my friends have commented why are you not a psychiatrist or something more? Because, <laughs> and the reality is, I, I do read a lot of uh, a lot of self help books. So, um, and you know, we we will be showing some of those books off today. So, uh, but with that in mind, uh, I thought you know, my, Michael and I were you know talking about guests, and uh, yeah, today's guest is someone that certainly we we admire for his ability to understand uh, EQ, which is uh, emotional uh, intelligence quite well and uh, uses it on a daily basis and yeah props to him and uh, I think uh, you guys will get a lot of uh, good insight from him so um so let me start off by um, telling our audience a little bit about this topic because I'm, I'm I'm pretty sure many of them know it well and many this is gonna be new um, so um, we're going to be talking about a number of related terms that all go under the banner of emotional intelligence. In specifically, um, in the title of this, I drew out one facet of that called emotional awareness, which um, has been quite profound um, in my own life. Um, but there's 
this concept that we need to be aware of our emotions and we have to manage them and we need to be aware of the emotions of the people around us. If we want to be effective communicators, effective motivators, um, to get along and be part of a high performing team, um, to be able to negotiate and to avoid. Um, and I think this is uh, one of the places where it comes in very close contact in IT and cybersecurity to avoid um, frustrations. Um, if you work on an IT help desk, I guarantee a big part of your day is regulating your own emotional reaction to the pressures you're under. The frustration of dealing with people when you can't adequately communicate or where they can't adequately communicate with you. Um, the pressure that you're under to get things done quickly. Um, the pressure from the inadequacies of the tools you have available to solve problems or the frustration of not having the right skill at the right time or the right information to complete it. And then in cybersecurity, the dial is cranked up to 11 where um, the time cycle that we work on is extremely short. Um, the pressure and the consequences um, are unknown and therefore often quite high. Is this the big breach or is this a little one? And we have all the same frustrations of that everyone else in IT um, task switching, interruptions. If you're unfortunate enough to um, live in one of those productivity killing open office spaces, um, it's great for chatting with your buds, but not so great for knowledge work. Um, and this topic of emotional intelligence um, speaks to our need to understand at any given moment that emotions are part of the equation they're part of the experience we're having and our ability to um, regulate those emotions stems from our awareness and then it becomes a skill. Um, the first time I ever heard of this topic uh, it was much earlier in my career. And um, you know what? I dismissed it as crap because I wanted to learn more hard skills. I wanted to learn more technology, more switching, routing, programming. Um, why would anyone need to learn this? Um, the first five years of my career was a very different person. Um, I ruled by ultimatum. I blew up and yelled at people all the time. I know the people who know me, they don't believe that, but it is core to who I am. Um, things changed dramatically when I started to um, become more aware of how I felt and then began to look for symptoms in other people. Um, I had this job um, as a web developer, um, but I ended up getting assigned all of the problem customers that would phone in for help. And it wasn't because of my dramatically superior technical skills. It was because at the time I was practicing this theory, I was telling my coworkers that I referred to as ego validation, that when someone would call in, the first thing you did wasn't follow the help desk process of trying to get a good problem statement, reproducing the problem. The first thing you did was to validate them and their concern. And we would have people that would come in yelling and screaming for whatever reason. Um, and I would listen to their problem. I would repeat back to them in a way that connected with 
whatever was causing them to have this emotional outburst and validate that that was okay, that they could feel that way. And before you know it, uh, I remember this one fellow who was the, one of our toughest customers would yell at us, swear at us, demand to speak to managers and directors, would report us and try to get us fired. And one day I um, phoned him up or, or he phoned me up. He was yelling and swearing. And I literally said to him, you know, it's, it's absolutely okay for you to feel this way. That frustration isn't your fault. And I'll accept that. And then that got us past what his emotional block was. He was still mad, but then he began to actually tell me what his problem was. We solved it. In the end, he was crying. Because his problem wasn't a technical problem. His problem was um, he couldn't live with frustration and he couldn't deal with frustration. And my success in helping him was simply because I'd gotten to a point where I could recognize some of those things. And I felt, oh, so all powerful. I had another 15 years of lessons to learn about that because frankly, I hadn't changed much. Um, I was just using my forces for evil. Um, um, let me bring up. Um, uh, oh yeah, by the way, shout outs to all the people who are sending in your comments. As always, when we after we interview our guest, we'll be taking your live questions. So as we're going along, if you've got questions, put them down there in the chat. Um, we might not get them to them right away, but when we get to the live Q&A section, we'll throw them up on the screen and we'll address all your questions, please. Um, and thanks to everyone who just said hi in the chat. Um, <clears throat> I promise this will be a quick introduction because my goal isn't to teach you this. My goal is to show you what this topic is. And we have some resources that Moro's curated that we're going to share with you later. But there's five tenets to emotional intelligence. Being self-aware, being able to recognize the emotional states you've got, being able to understand what's triggering them, where they come from, what they really mean. In many places where they're teaching people this for the first time, uh, they often say, listen to your gut. And what they really mean is if your stomach feels tight, that is stress. You should be accepting of the fact that you feel stress. Then there's self-regulation. And you can't really regulate your emotions unless you're aware of what they are and where they're coming from. Um, then there's the, uh, 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 not included in every version of this theory is the concept of motivation, which is um, what really drives our performance and what really makes us happy comes from what motivates us. And if we understand those motivations, um, there's a great book called Why that says, you know, um, if you want to be high performing, um, you're probably motivated by um, the desire for autonomy, uh, mastery, or purpose, and uh, latch on to whichever one of those feelings you get from your work. And as long as you've got one of them, you probably do good. If you've got multiple ones, uh, you're going to feel great at work. Empathy is the flip side of self-awareness and the notion that uh, the next level in emotional intelligence 
is where we start to understand where other people's emotional states are coming from, how they're externalizing them. And then if we also have self-awareness and we see someone else's um, getting cheesed off, we might be able to uh, communicate with them better. Um, we might be able to use language that's going to help them be more self-aware or that doesn't put them in that um, same position. Um, and I, I've um, got some examples we can talk about later, but certain things that um, emotionally self-aware people don't say. Um, and then the final thing is generally social skills uh, at the highest level build upon all of these together. Um, there's lots of books written about this. There's lots of courses. And I've curated a... Um, uh, screen change. Come on. Oh, there we go. Um, I've curated a YouTube playlist with a few introductory videos. So if this is a new topic to you, you can go here and get it started. And that's already in the show notes. So if you look at the description of the live stream on YouTube, you will see the link to this playlist. And as with the playlist from previous live streams, it starts with nice little short authoritative videos, simple introductions, and finishes off with nice big one hour long lectures if you want to go deeper into the topic. Um, and later on, um, Moro's got some books that uh, are great on this topic. Um, for the moment, that is all I want to say. Um, that's what this topic is about. Being more emotionally self-aware, being able to leverage that to be a better communicator and a better team member and to overcome our frustration. Um, all right. I was going to say, yes, I think it's time to introduce our uh, our, our guest uh, guest today. So all right. I will leave it to you. <laughs> um, welcome, Nahid. Uh, this is Nahid Asani. Um, to me, you are a special guest because um, this live stream is very much inspired by you. Uh, so as people who've watched previous live streams know, we tackled in our first three job hunting and it, we more and I felt that was a really important topic. But this was inspired by you because when I was job hunting, you and several other people really, really helped me out. And it made a big impact in how I behaved and changing what I did. And then when we were picking topics for this live stream, uh, we wanted to share that. So literally, uh, anyone in the audience, if you have loved our job hunting series and our job advice, um, you have uh, this man to thank. Um, and, and some others as well, but you're the one on screen today. So Thank you so much for being with us. Um, uh, Nahid, you're also here because uh, Moro and I really admire you as a manager. Um, I've been in some situations where you've pervaded a sense of integrity, calm. Uh, and when we started to discuss uh, Moro and I just generally talking about emotional awareness, your name kept coming up as somebody we're like, this guy has got to have some very serious emo uh, emotional quotient, some EQ. Otherwise, you wouldn't be such a great um, role model uh, is the way I think of it. Um, uh, 
Um, okay, so I'm thinking of some situations that you and I have both been where um, there's been a problem, a sense of urgency, um, <clears throat> and maybe even conflict. Uh, in I remember one particular time I was I was cheesed off. I thought I was being professional and calm, and you reached out. And we had a two or three hour conversation, and after that, I was like, I thought I was engaging in all the right professional practices, and you brought it to the next level. You also brought us forward, where you were able to make our conversation better. You were able to make me see how to communicate it with people. And um, I just thought, you, okay, um, you've got to have a system. <laughs> so what's what's your approach? You, you, you're dealing with, oh, sorry, first, I'm getting ahead of myself just because I'm just gushing like a fanboy. Nahid, would you like to introduce yourself to our audience? <laughs> I'm going to mute myself before I make a fool of my No problem. Um, so my name's Nahid Asani. I'm uh, SE director for one of the top cybersecurity companies uh, in the world. Um, I've been with that company for about 12 years. We've got a very strong Canadian presence as well as globally. Um, as I mentioned, I'm an SE director, so that's really managing the pre-sales um, security engineers uh, in Western Canada. Um, but having said that, um, a lot of the things we're going to be talking about today I've learned over the years and I've been really lucky to have a lot of mentors in my life. And that came from very early on. Um, that came from, believe it or not, a job I had working at a video store. Uh, if, if For those of you who remember video stores, um, I used to actually manage a video store, got to a point of managing a video store, started off as uh, a regular clerk and then was managing six stores. But the owner of that store was an incredible mentor and you know, even over beers, just talking about things and how to approach things, watching him and seeing how he dealt with customers. It was just incredible. So that's just one mentor. I've had so many throughout my life that I consider myself lucky. Um, I'll talk a little bit more about that as we go on. But um, I'm so so technically speaking, um, I am a very technical manager. Um, I think I'm losing my skill set over time, but my guys keep telling me I'm not. I don't know. Um, anyways, uh, so I can discuss things at a very at, at all different levels. Um, I've worked with all kinds of customers. I've worked with uh, healthcare customers. I've worked with um, oil and gas, um, uh, the hydros and energy companies, uh, education, and um, the one thing that I've learned is everybody's different and people are different and you have to acknowledge that and you have to understand that. Um, but I'll leave it at that for now and uh, back to you, Michael, and we'll go from there. Um, so here, here's, here's what I really want to get at um, right off the top. Um, in those situations where maybe there's conflict or a sense of urgency or both, um, you know what? There can be raised voices. Um, people can, um, as, as I used to, issue ultimatums, make demands. Um, we're not always in a position to give in to the demands. They might be impossible. They might be something that our position in a negotiation doesn't yield. But we've got that 
that conflict, that sense of urgency, what's your approach? Like, um, where do you start and how do you deal with that? So the one thing I have to keep in my mind is because of my position, by the time a call gets to me or an escalation gets to my level, it's gone through multiple other levels already. So that person's going to be extremely frustrated and I have to take that into consideration. Um, even if, even if I was their first call, I have to take it into consideration. I may not know what this person has already gone through, the amount of hours they've spent in anguish or what they're going through in their personal life that might be affecting the way they're talking, right? Um, and I have to realize that I'm talking to a human. So I have to understand that it's a cliche saying, but people are people and that everybody's different and I have to understand that that's a person I'm talking to and I have to validate that. The next thing I do from there is I listen. Um, I find that's the best way to handle a conf uh, somebody who's in a, a situation of major conflict or escalation. Um, listening and listening intently. Um, if you're in front of them in person, making sure that you're looking at them in the eye, making sure that you know, you're nodding so you're acknowledging them, um, but giving them that chance to not only vent, but to tell their story. Uh, don't cut them off. Um, let, them, let them say what needs to be said. Uh, and then from there, uh, the next thing I will do is acknowledge. Uh, so you know what you said earlier, Michael, is repeat back. So, uh, for, depending on what the situation is, I may even take ownership and apologize and say, you know, I'm sorry you ran into this situation or it caused you grief. Um, I'm not apologizing on behalf of maybe the technology or other things, but I am acknowledging all the anguish that they've gone through, uh, through this process. Um, and I'll, so I'll take ownership on that. Um, and then from there, I'll go back and I'll make sure that I repeat back to them what their issue is and we'll start communicating from there. Um, that, that's the easiest way to start things. Again, listening um, and make sure you're listening. Make sure that you don't have, you know, one of these things in your hand um, <laughs> and you're not, you know, uh, on a computer. Um, I've been in a situation where I'm in a meeting room and, you know, people are on computers and taking notes. Uh, I actually make sure that I don't purposely do that. If I'm going to take notes on a computer, I'll do it with a pen or I'll use a, a actual notebook because this way the person realizes that I'm making notes about their conversation, what's going on and not just doing something else. Right. Um, but yeah, it just make sure you're in the moment, make sure you're there for that person. You're listening and letting them get everything off of their chest. Okay. Yeah, no, uh, very insightful. Uh, sorry, Michael. I, I think I, I was going to interrupt you. So, um, the, the, right at the beginning, you said some things that I think um, are really interesting in a subtle way. Um, so, one of the things you said was, um, um, or what you didn't say, I think, is the important thing, is you didn't say, "I'm sorry you feel that way." 
which I think is literally the opposite of what we're talking about. You yeah. said, I, I'm sorry for the anguish you feel. Yeah. Um, and there's a difference between a dismissal and an acknowledgement. Um, the story I told at the beginning has got that same tie-in where it was a breakthrough for me trying to help other people in frustrating situations when what I was doing was acknowledging that I get it. You're, you're feeling very frustrated mm -hmm. and that's okay. That's the starting point for me is that you're feeling frustrated. Not that your modem won't connect, not that <clears throat> your website's down, not that that's not the starting point. The starting point is, oh man, you're really pissed off and that's okay with me. Let's, let's start there. And um, a mistake I think a lot of people make is um, if it's a position of conflict, they start off in a position of, well, no, I'm going to win this conflict. So they say, well, I'm sorry you feel that way. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm giving you this big message that, no, we're in conflict. And the minute you suddenly turn and go, there's, okay, there may be a negotiation here, but there's no conflict. Yeah. We're both agreeing that the starting point is that you are mad. Um, totally okay. Let's start there. Yeah, um, that's, that's key. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that that plays into ego, right? And uh, you know, I I even have a book that I put the link into into our agenda, uh, you know, uh, about ego. Uh, yes, ego is the enemy, right? And uh, you know, ego is that perception that you know that you 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 deserve more, but you haven't really done any work to do it, like to deserve the praise, I guess. So uh, you know, and, and I'll I'll even give an example of you know a, a really good uh, a really good thing that I saw on my favorite cartoon called Rick and Morty. And if you've watched Rick and Morty, it's, it's hilarious, but you know, there's, there's a whole subculture even around it, but uh, there's an instance where one of the characters apologizes that, you know, the other person feels that way, even though they made the mistake, that character made the mistake. Right. So, you know, it, it, it's diffusing that I think. And, and it's like Michael said, and you know, Nahid is agreeing to is that fact that, you know, sometimes, you you gotta you gotta put your ego aside, you know. And sometimes you have to admit you're wrong. Sometimes you don't have to. But uh, I think that's a big part of the whole, you know, discussion of empathy, right? And the ability to, I guess, identify and relate with the person. Because uh, that I think is again, you know, plugging into something we we've, we've been talking about throughout our live streams. It's it's a part of the process of being genuine, uh, you know. And I think people have an ability to listen and trust you. Uh, in a more meaningful way when you are genuine uh people can pick up on fake uh pretty instantly i i would think in this day and age so i think that's why uh for us this topic of uh eq and uh i call it aq but uh, emotional awareness as well is is pretty important so um <clears throat> so the example that you just gave really um highlighted being aware of other people's emotional states but what do you do to be aware of your own i mean in your position i'm pretty sure that a lot of people are bringing you um uh stuff that must push some buttons right and i'm gonna say this because nahid's actually my boss boss's boss but anyways i've i have to this record never really seen nahid lose his, his cool like ever so yeah i'm kind of curious as well about this question uh, like what do you do to kind of go through the inter internal th uh, thought process 
where you're coming out like, okay, maybe uh, I maybe I just need to take a break or okay. You're not balling it in, but you still understand how how you're gonna how you're gonna react to this. Yeah, um, uh, thank you for that, guys. Um, so two things. Uh, first of all, just to reiterate, um, when my phone rings, there's usually a major issue, um, whether it's one of my guys, my staff, or whatever. So I have to. I already understand that there's something going on, right? Um, it's very rare that my guys will call me just to. Shoot, shoot, uh, just a chat. Um, uh, we'll go out for beers and stuff like that, which is fantastic. I love that. Uh, I love a fun environment. I love that culture. Um, but again, if my phone rings, chances are there's some urgency, something like that. So I have to take that into consideration. Um, so I have to prep myself uh, right away. Um, I have to prep myself that, okay, relax, take it easy. Um, listen again, uh, see, see what's going on and figure it out. The other thing I do, the second thing, is that whenever I do get into a situation like this, um, what helps me with my own emotions is that I have the right intent. At least I, so what I mean by that is I always want to help. I always want to figure out a way, a solution to the problem. Um, and and that's in my heart. I, I really want that to happen. So I, I try not to be dismissive in any way, because I, I really want to understand what's the issue, right? Um, so I think that's that's how I control my own import, my own emotions. Uh, even though somebody could be yelling at me, um, and I maybe I didn't do anything, uh, but uh, you know, some people could go a different way. They could end up yelling back. But for me, I I try to take into consideration what are they going through, why what's causing this. And that helps me to deal with my own emotions. Um, would you would you say that just um, judging your own personality, are you um, naturally prone to big swings of emotion? Do you, at your core, tend to react to things? Or like, is is all of what you just said the exercising of the skill you learn, or are you just naturally a guy who uh exudes superhuman dalai lama like calm <laughs> um so yeah i'd love to think it's the uh the latter but uh no it's actually um it, it's actually a little bit of both so my personality type um i am naturally calm uh so i i have that to help me out but it is something it, it is definitely a skill it's something i've learned over time and again through lots of different mentors um that have helped me to figure this out and through experiences as well, right? So uh, I definitely think it's something that can be taught uh, or learned. Um, I, and I think it's about observation, uh, observing in your life when these kinds of situations happen, how did somebody else do the, handle it and how did it go? And from there, seeing if you can apply that same uh, methodology and see, see how that works for you, right? But yeah. Does that answer your question, Michael? Or oh, it, it does. Um, it's actually got me really thinking. I, I think this is one of the one of the uh, live streams so far. Where we're going to be dumbfounded a lot okay. in in profound <laughs> contemplation. Um, yeah. It it got me thinking that you know um, my own core person is. I'll be honest. Um, emotional regulation is something I have to work at. 
if you only knew what my online handle was from 30 years ago and dug up all the rage posts, um, it's just embarrassing. Um, uh, but what you said about it being a skill, um, you know, I think early in my career when I began to actively try to be more aware of myself and others, um, I sort of thought it was a process, not a skill. I'm like, check, <laughs> listen for the following. And it worked. Um, mm -hmm. But the more I practiced, the more I realized it was a skill. And if you don't, if you, you know, you, you can uh, get lazy and uh, get um, soft with those skills um, where it gets harder to exercise them. But if you keep on top of it and you're, um, I think that's where the self-awareness part really comes in is, is if you're always practicing that one, it's easier to practice the others. And then um, a lot of these conflict situations become a lot um, easier to deal with. Um, so, so interesting to, I, I didn't answer part of your question, which um, I, I'd like to do now. Um, I actually am not always calm and cool and collected. Uh, I'll be completely honest. Um, but it's funny, like I can handle the largest customer situations or partner situations um, or, you know, even if there's some sort of medical emergency or something, I can stay calm in those situations. But you put me and my wife in a room together <laughs> and sometimes that could change, right? So that I, I've not figured out. And I do realize that I don't treat her the same way I do everybody else sometimes. Uh, I do take her for granted. Uh, so maybe that's a little bit of self-awareness, but um, that's very different. Or sometimes I'll get frustrated with the little things in life. Um, if I, I don't know, if, I, if I'm doing some construction or something and I accidentally put a screw in the wrong place or something like that, that'll cost me more anguish than some, something major, which is really funny. Um, and, and sometimes I have to tell myself, you know, the little things in life, don't, don't worry about the little things in life. Right. Um, that's exactly what they are. So you have to kind of coach yourself sometimes. Um, I think it's interesting. You, you bring up the family connection. Cause um, I think sometimes um, that's often uh, harder for me to deal with as well. Um, but it also overlaps with something. Um, so um, a few years ago, um, uh, my wife took a course and she, at work, she was angry and frustrated all the time. Uh, there were problems at work that weren't being dealt with. And, um, you know, when you're stuck in a job uh, and there's a lot of stuff going on that you can't deal with, that's tough. So she went and took a thing. And so she was looking for anger management classes in Calgary. Didn't find an anger management class. And it's because um, the most prominent one in our city was actually renamed to um, uh, living with frustration, which seemed like totally more apropos. Um, and I, uh, oh, I should have dug up a link for that. But uh, she couldn't speak. Um, more highly of it. Actually, every once in a while, she just goes back, uh, much like that skill development, just to go um, and say, oh, well, I, I should just keep up with these techniques. And I love the way they just said, okay, no, you're not dealing with anger. You are living with your frustration all the time. And a lot of the techniques they deal with um, for that was focused around self-regulation. Um, 
regulating those emotions once you're aware that they're there, um, which frankly is my problem too. <laughs> I think we all have that problem though, right, Michael? I mean, it, it's a matter of, you know, how, how we deal with it or how we choose to deal with it really. So, um, yeah, no, I'm, it, you know, Nahid's been, you know, pretty awesome, you know, as, as my boss. Um, but I guess, I guess I'm kind of curious, like, how, how do you approach that when you're, when you're actually dealing with, you know, uh, a subordinate, uh, you know, how do you kind of guide them towards that? Okay, you know, we understand we're listening to you. But, you know, kind of help them towards that whole path of uh, self reflection, and getting them to kind of understand their own emotional state, so that, you know, maybe they can kind of grow beyond what, what they're used to doing in a certain uh, pressure filled situation. Yeah, you actually, um, you actually, had one key word there or key phrase, uh, self-reflection. So when I'm talking to somebody and, and they're going through maybe some sort of emotion, and even if I know the answer, and even if I know exactly what's going on, and maybe I've seen it before, right? Uh, and again, people are different, so maybe I haven't. But it's important to talk it out. And it's important to make sure that they're self-reflecting and figuring it out for themselves as well. Um, I'm not just going to go ahead and give them an answer. I'm going to actually keep going and make sure that um, they're, you know, looking internally and trying to figure out what's going on. Um, so that that that's a key way that I, I deal with things um, with a subordinate. I hate that term, but with a subordinate. <laughs> okay, uh, let's say um, people that report to you. No. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's not really a nice no, phrase, yeah. I guess. So, no. But I mean, honestly. I guess you know you're you're a leader, right? So ultimately, uh, if you want to say you know you're you're the general, then you know you have your uh, your minions. <laughs> yeah, and I always try to make sure that whatever resolution we come to, that there's buy-in from them. Um, that's very important. Uh, it, you can't just tell somebody what to do. At least, it, I don't believe that's the right way to do things. Um, you have to get buy-in from them. Explain your side. Um, they explain their side. Uh, if they feel their side is better and they can make that argument, I'm willing to give it a shot, right? Um, I, one thing that I have going for me is that the people that we have hired um, are very skillful, very professional people, uh, Moro included, right? So oh, thank you. I don't, you're welcome. And so I don't really have to um, worry too much but at the same time, I have to, because of who they are, and I realized this when I hired them, obviously. So I have to give them that credit in being able to resolve some of their own issues, right? Uh, so helping them to figure it out on their own, um, you know, and maybe it takes a couple of tries. Maybe it doesn't happen right away, but yeah. Have you ever found yourself in a position where you're having to coach other people on your team to be more self-aware or aware of others? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, one interesting one is uh, email. Uh, there's no tone and inflection in the email. Mm -hmm. So you have to be very careful when you write emails uh, to other people. And uh, I've had I, I, I've had situations with multiple people where emails have been re read the wrong way and come across the wrong way. And it wasn't intended that way. And it's like, okay, well, we need to get on a call and figure this out, right? Like, because um, you didn't mean it that way. So, you know, 
mention that, say that, right? Um, but yeah, we we've I've been through that kind of stuff, and I have to coach around it, um, and I have to. Sorry, I don't have to, but what I do is I always try and point out how the other person would feel. Um, put yourself in their shoes, and again, I know that's another cliche one, but it really works. Uh, if you can put yourselves in somebody else's shoes and they're reading that coming from you or the direction they, they got coming from you, um, how would you feel, right? And when you're trying to figure something out, if you're already in an emotional state and this is what comes across. So yeah, yeah, I, I do have to do that coaching. That's one of the things I think is one of my um, weaker points. So um uh, there's there I think there's very little about emotional intelligence that came very natural to me. And so uh, when I find myself leading a team, um, actually one of the more frustrating points for me is when I'm like, if I could just show that guy what he's missing about picking up on what that guy's doing, then this would all go away and we could get this job done. But I don't know the right way to coach them um it was such a long journey for me um on the other hand um you know i uh, i've often thought back to you know many of the sort of corporate training things i've gone to where i think they were really trying to teach these skills and i was just like i was having none of it you're not going to send me off on all this wishy-washy training being friends with my coworkers, learning all these soft skills and i got to get uh how would i go to my former self and get them to get over that block knowing now that it was so instrumental in um improving my own performance um, but see i think see that's that's the ego part right the 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 you know the perception that you know you know more ergo you know you, you should do it this way uh you know without doing anything essentially right rather than you know uh trying it or testing it and then, you know, making the judgment based on, you know, the results, right? Uh, I mean, I know that sounds analytical. And really, I think this topic is a bit beyond, you know, analytical approach. Uh, I, I think you're phrasing it in a, in, a, in a good way. Okay, so let's just think about um, the audience we've got here is a lot of technical people. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they, they may have the same experience I've had. And they may need to approach it analytically before they can get over that. In fact, I'm going to put this question out there to everyone in the audience. I'm going to ask you to be just vulnerable for a little bit here. And would you say that your own ego or arrogance often blocks you from seeing things from some other's perspective? Is what you're hearing in these stories here, is it completely foreign to you? Um, I would love to hear um, if that's the case or not the case. Like and, and while we're waiting for, because uh, I, I I realize there's like a two minute uh, gap between when this gets posted to YouTube. So in this gap, I'm gonna I'm gonna speak why why I chose that book about ego, uh, and the reason why is for you know your new gra- your new graduates or those those people that are looking to graduate and get into IT and and cybersecurity, you know, there, there's always that feeling that you know you know more that you know you you know more your god uh you know you you somehow have the skill that the normal person doesn't have 
and really that's that's hugely detrimental and i mean th that's really why i think this live stream is actually you know critical uh critical to understand and that you know i can't even remember the exact numbers or the statistics but they were actually saying that you know eq is actually more valuable than iq which which i i believe wholeheartedly true uh you know you you can train someone to be as smart as uh you know anyone you know anyone else but you know for that person to be empathetic to be mindful to be to understand to be emotionally aware now that's uh, that's something you know especially when when you graduate and you have all these great thoughts and you're you know you've been taught all these things you go into the real world and you know you try and impress that onto everyone else and realize well no one's listening to you it's yeah it's because you're not being mindful uh maybe you're not understanding you know that you know yeah, we, we you know people recognize that you went to school but now you know what what are you doing beyond that right so so um i we're very rapidly turning these live streams into a book club. I'm not sure if you've noticed. As a librarian, I fully support it. But um, I was just thinking the the book you recommended on Ego uh, reminds me of this book, Leadership and Self-Deception. It's actually um, the real story of a company in Quebec um, that had a whole bunch of leadership and management problems, um, but then got to the point they realized um, these problems all came from their egos and they had to overcome it. Um, and um, this book was um, a real game changer. Uh, one of my favorite HR people ever, Val Johnson, um, recommended this to me and um, really changed my approach um, to being aware of when my arrogance was kicking in. Um, I only wish I could master knowing when my arrogance is kicking in because I'm pretty sure there's like three things in the last two years where um, Nahid had to deal with some of my crap that <laughs> probably wouldn't have needed to. No, but you know what? Uh, it, it, it's one of those things. Sometimes, again, you know, it's an ego thing. I mean, as long as you're aware of it and you're trying to improve on it, that, that's the key thing, right? I mean, yeah, you might be arrogant in that moment, but if you can go backwards and, you know, understand that, ah, oh, crap, I, yeah. you know, that was, that, that, you know, that was bad. I, I need to talk to that person. You know, and that's a big leap forward in emotional awareness, right? Not just, you know, uh, you know, EQ, emotional, um, uh, but the ability to at least, you know, tell us someone, hey, I'm sorry. You know, I went off track. This is what happened. Uh, I understand what caused that for me to behave that way. So, um, yeah, no, it, it, and it's good. I mean, you know, from a leadership standpoint, especially, I think it's, it's quite important. Uh, you know, like the second book I'll mention is uh, Leadership. Uh, although I find that that book uh, has a little bit too much uh, religious overtones. I'm not religious, so I'm not saying it's a bad thing or a good thing. You know, I'm just saying that's just not for me. But, you know, one big takeaway from this book I found was uh, something that Nahid had mentioned is that, you know, a lot of times he's not looking for praise. He's help, He's trying to help elevate everyone else. So he's not looking to, you know, selfishly put himself ahead and try and get ahead, you know, stepping on other people. It's rather the opposite. And I think that's the reason why a lot of people that work for Nahid and underneath Nahid uh, appreciate him. You know, he, he's willing to listen, but at, at the same time, help nurture um, their understanding and their ability to hopefully grow, uh, not not just professionally, but, you know, a, as a person as well. So, yeah, um, no. Sorry, if I could just chime in here for a quick second. Sure. Um, so we're talking about ego, and uh, I actually thought of a, 
a time where my ego bit me or almost bit me. Um, and you're probably sitting there shaking your head and he doesn't have an ego. <laughs> but, um, no, anyways, um, 12 years ago when I actually joined this company, uh, I was in my fifth interview um, for an SE position, which that interview went five and a half hours long. Oh. And it was a technical interview. Wow. And I got, I got into, let's call it a pissing match with my current boss <laughs> around OSPF. And, uh, yeah. I was so, going to say, uh, you, you, that guy's like, that guy's a routing guru. You don't want to get in a pissing match with, he, he you know, is. like the most obscure things. I'm like, he's, he's the VP, but he's my go-to guy when it comes to routing. Like oh, if, yeah. I, if I got a BGP question, I'm going oh, to yeah. him, but, uh, <laughs> and, and you're right. So me going up against him uh, anyways, um, so, but I was so insistent on wanting to prove myself right. And I kept going harder and harder that, no, this is this and this is that. And, um, and I wasn't self-aware. Um, I was letting my emotion get the best of me. I wanted to be right because I felt being right would help me to get the job. Um, no, <laughs> that almost lost me the job. It, it, it actually um, was a bad characteristic that I had, uh, not being able to walk away from that, not being able to be humble and not being able to say, yeah, maybe, maybe you're right. Right. Um, and that was actually a life learning lesson for me. Uh, when I learned later on that I almost lost my job because <laughs> of that, uh, so. Although I don't know, you know, your boss, he has a tendency to push people, you know, yeah. jokingly. I mean, and sometimes it is funny, but sometimes he does he does go overboard with it. So you, you never know if he's telling you the truth, because the reality is he might be making fake stuff up just to test you. And That's I know true. he does that jokingly, but I know he likes to do that. So you're, you're outing his uh, secrets. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> so our, our audience tends to agree on this ego issue. I think we've really resonated a chord. Uh, so Shailene's got this uh, same same experience and uh, finds that empathy is what was the key to overcoming it. And uh, Jared has a few comments here um, that uh, saying this is all pretty close to home. And I, I like that it brings up um, um, delayed sending an email. Um, for many years, I've practiced the thing. If I'm sending an email and I, I do a sort of a, an emotional check and if I'm mad, I don't, I leave that email till later, but the number of times where I've obsessively, and I mean, recently obsessively sat there typing out the angry email, then deleting it and writing it. And actually uh, over the time I've realized that if I give myself the freedom to actually write the email I want to write, it's actually a good way for me getting over that and realizing now that it's down on paper, no, I don't want to say that. Um, but I needed to say it. Although I learned the hard way, don't fill in the two line. Because you never know when your cat's going to crawl on your keyboard and send a partially sent email. Um, that is a great tip. Yeah. Um, um, oh, I had a th I had a thought so, about this. I, I'm going to talk about an observation about Nahid, which I actually appreciate about him more than I think he knows. Um, so you know, uh, there's a bunch of us on the SC team that are, I think are jokers, um, and you know, I think sometimes 
in my opinion, it does get out of hand. Uh, but, you know, Nahid has a way of bringing some of that in. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I, th I think that, that's where Nahid's strength is. You know, he has no problem, you know, poking fun at himself as well as, you know, some people. But, you know, it, I think he, you know, he, he knows a time and a place to do it. Uh, whereas, and, you know, I've met people that are just jerks. They're just, you know, they constantly put other people down. Uh, joking or not uh and you know their their first thing is to you know just shoot down somebody or bust their you know bust their chops and i noticed about nahid he doesn't do that uh in fact sometimes he gets a little too uh light about it and it's like i'm just joking and it's like yes nahid i know you're joking but you didn't have to say that to to, to make sure that my feelings aren't hurt uh but i found that you know that's something you know again you know that plays into you know emotional awareness uh, as well as, you know, just emotionally cute too, right? I mean, you know, and that's a great quality of a leader. Someone, you know, that can, you know, bring up, bring bring everyone's spirits up, have some humor, poke fun out themselves, but at the same time, you know, know when to reel it in and, you know, start start being serious. So, and, you know, it's the same thing when you mentioned, you know, things about communication, you know, listening, being mindful, not, you know, not sitting on your smartphone while you're having a, you know, a dinner, you know, even with your wife, you know, I'm sure your wife will lose it on you. If you constantly do it, uh, I mean, you can always preface it with, darling, I'm sorry, I've got this important thing that's probably going to come through. So I apologize in advance. I might have to, you know, do this. But, you know, you're always being thoughtful of, of the other person and how they feel. Because uh, let's face it, you know, in this universe, uh, I would say 99% of people lo love to talk. They love to be heard. <laughs> and, you know, it takes a special skill just to shut it off and listen and be empathetic and hear the person, not just listen but hear the person, which I think is one of the greatest skills that, you know, and he possesses. And, you know, you'll see that a lot in, in his team. So. Thank you, Mauro. I, I really appreciate that. <laughs> um, so we have uh, a, a really interesting uh, couple comments from David um, looking for some tips here. Um, and I like, I'm going to deal with his second one first and his first one second. Um, he says that he sometimes fails to communicate effectively. Uh, when he receives a new task, he feels like he's not good enough. And now he's starting a new position in, in another department. Um, and um, this resonates with me because early in my career, um, and I think this happens honestly, especially IT cybersecurity, there's a lot of imposter syndrome that people suffer. We're always required to learn uh, we have to be generalists and specialists, and that leads to this constant questioning of, um, do we really know what we're doing? Now you switch teams or you get a new job, you get a promotion, and even if you got to a comfort level, it's back. And it can really trigger the frustration uh, that I talked about earlier, but also this sort of, if you're naturally arrogant or egotistical, you're going to fall back on that, Right. Um, I, the number of times in my career where I've shot off my mouth acting like an expert when really the smart thing to do was, as you pointed earlier, just to listen. Um, so what's your advice to, to David, um, in this position where he feels that way, um, starting a new team, worried that he's going to feel inadequate again? That's a really tough one. Um, it's it's different in every situation. So you have to go and gauge it and see what's working as you go through it. Uh, but I can tell you from people that I hire, 
a lot of the guys that I hire, um, they want to prove themselves really quickly. They want to prove that I made the right decision in hiring them. Um, I'm pretty confident when I hire somebody, so I'm, I'm not worried about that aspect. Um, I actually like the fact when people take time to learn, to communi communicate with the team, to figure out what they're doing, what their needs are, what and, and trying to help out that way and trying to adapt. A lot of people want to go and change the world, like when they get into a new department or a new position, um, which everybody else takes the wrong way because everybody else feels like they've been doing it right for a long time. Why do we need to switch all this up? So be cautious of that, um, you know, try and adapt to what they're doing and maybe once in a while, give a suggestion here or there, um, but back it up, you know, in a previous position, I was doing this, uh, our team ran into this and this was how we work things out. Um, so put, put something behind it, but, but that's a tough one. Um, his, his question ties into the first comment he made earlier, um, which is that, okay, so you've got a supervisor who's not from IT, uh, they're giving you unreasonable timelines, and then you get the comment from your boss, oh, there should be a plenty of time, but it everyone ends up rushing. Um, I actually have a, a comment that I think um, deals with both. Um, one of the facets of emotional intelligence is this self-awareness. And um, we often interpret that as saying, oh, well, what emotion am I feeling? But I'm going to take it a step back. Just recognize that that feeling you have, whether you're feeling like, oh, you're not good enough, or you're not feeling up to the task, or you're doubting yourself about whether it should have taken longer or not, that's a feeling. That's not the objective truth. And that first comment about, you know, well, my boss isn't from IT, these timelines seem unreasonable. The first step is recognizing that you're, you, what, there's a difference between the objective truth and what you feel. And if you want to deal with the situation with your boss, put your feeling aside. Now, you can't control what they feel. But you can put aside your feeling and then ask good questions. Uh, why do you think... Um, this should have been an adequate amount of time. Uh, I used to frustrate all my bosses early in my career when I was a developer. They would give us, the salespeople would come up with estimates for how long it would take us to write software, often for things that had never been written before. And I would literally turn around and then look them in the eye and say, um, what's the basis of our estimate for thinking this takes two hours? Um, what about our past performance? would be evidence that this should only take two hours. Do we have any past performance that would indicate how long it would take? And that was my way of saying, it's going to take a lot more time. <laughs> we have no idea how much. Um, but by taking that out, uh, now I'm not worried about feeling inadequate. I have that feeling, but I'm just going to put it aside and then ask some good questions. Boss, why? Why? And then another good one is to go to your boss and say, what can I do next time to guarantee I can hit this timeline? Um, that's kind of an unfair question because we all know, you know your boss may not have an answer. <laughs> but it could open a dialogue if you say it without ego. 
and that's what I was going to point out. Uh, I think, you know, in a lot of cases, if you're able to at least, you know, listen to them, maybe ask that question, why, why do you need it done in this timeline? Maybe they, they're getting pressure from someone else. In which case, you know, maybe you can work towards helping them understand or explain to the person that's giving them the pressure that, you know, okay, well, this might be quite a little bit inadequate in terms of a time frame. Uh, we will certainly try our best. Uh, I mean, and that's usually my mentality. Uh, sometimes when I can't guarantee anything, it's like, but I, I, the only thing I can guarantee is I will try my best and I will work to get, you know, the, get the product or whatever service you need within that time frame. I, I at least can promise you that. Um, and, 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 you know, obviously uh, nine out of 10 times, it usually works out that way. Uh, one out of 10 times, it's, uh, you know what, uh, the customer or, you know, the end user or the person usually uh they're, they're pretty understanding about it right it's like no no dude you, you did your best uh you know this was a last minute thing or you know this was a tight timeline we we recognize that but the fact that you put the effort forth uh that that, that speaks volumes as well so it, it's it's, a- it's really important that we recognize that our bosses are people too and that exactly um they're not just there to put work on us we're both there to deliver some service and that they may be shielding us. Um, the number of times that I've witnessed uh, someone uh, like badmouth their boss behind their back. Um, and as a consultant, it's quite frequent that I get to see the everyone's perspective, the various bosses, because I get to work at all the levels. And I look and all the workers are really mad at their boss. And they don't realize their boss is shielding them from a ton of stuff. And shielding them sometimes means holding back details about why it's occurring. Um, And I love what you just said about communicating uh, timelines, especially in David's example, your boss gives you an unexpected, an unreasonable timeline. Remember your boss isn't perfect. They may not know how to communicate to you either. They might've been given the deadline. They might've picked wrong. Um, They might literally misunderstand and think it takes less time. Um, but you can turn around and you can, there are things you can do, which is to say, um, I promise you an update by the end of the day. I don't know that we can actually get it done, but if it, if it looks like it's going to take longer, I'm going to let you know as soon as possible that it's going to take longer. And that is a really respectful thing to do. If you put yourself in the boss's shoes, because what would help them succeed, letting them know as soon as possible. So they can communicate to everyone else. Hey, it's going to take more time. Yeah, those those are great tips, guys. Um, one thing to add to this, and you guys kind of said this indirectly: uh, open communication. Uh, so having that open communication with them and trying to grasp an understanding of why it is the way it is, why the timelines are that maybe they don't understand. Um, something else that has worked well for me in the past is uh, actually going up to your boss and saying, um, can you help me, please? Um, I need your help. I've got all these things on the go. Can you help me to prioritize which ones are important to the business, which ones are important to you? Um, And sometimes they'll go through that list and they'll take three or four off of them, off of your plate and say, those are not important at all. uh, And they'll toss them in the garbage. Um, And then all of a sudden you've got the stress relief off of your shoulders. And it's kind of like, okay, well, I can do the rest. Um, but yeah. You know what? Um, that's a that's a big one that I always overlook. 
Um, one of the emotions that I'm rarely aware of till it's too late is um, uh, feeling vulnerable. And literally that's what's about uh, what blocks us from going to our boss and asking for help is this sense of uh, feeling vulnerable. Uh, if I go to my boss and I need help, will they look down on me? Do I, well, I, I will feel stupid. And then this is the hard part is I don't recognize that's just a feeling or I shouldn't say just a feeling, but that's a feeling. It's not the objective truth. If I acknowledge that uh, fearing, feeling stupid is there, I would probably go to my boss and say, and I've had that same experience as you. Sometimes your boss will literally, they know the priorities and they'll simply say, no, why? It, that's not a big deal. Uh, no. Bosses I, I, also change priorities sometimes. So you got to live with that too. Well, exactly, um, exactly. But uh, I think I, I think I see what Nahid's trying to say is that uh, you know, don't be afraid to ask for help. I know that you know ego sometimes does get in the way. But see, there's that word again, ego, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, the the I think barrier. I know for me, uh, it took a bit for me to get over that. Uh, but I certainly don't have a problem asking for help. <laughs> he knows, uh, you know, as well as my boss. So. Uh, yeah, when I'm stuck, I, I, I do tend to call. Uh, and I guess from my mindset, uh, especially because my job is more customer fo focused, I, I'm always tending to, you know, have my customers uh, thoughts at the forefront. So I can't afford to have an ego. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, you know, my customers waiting for a solution or they're waiting for an answer. And it's my job to, to try and provide that if I can. So uh, so we have we have a, a great question from Jared here. Um, do you have any tips on keeping people actively engaged in meetings if they're hiding behind their laptops? Don't let them use their laptops <laughs> in the meeting room. Um, sorry, no, that, that you could do that. Um, but in a lot of cases, they've got other stuff going on and maybe they need to uh, you know, be on top of other things. So you have to be mindful of that. Um, but, but having said that, um, the proper way to engagement is actually to engage everybody um, to put a question out to the team. What do you guys think about blah? Instead of just talking the whole time and explaining what we're going to be doing or whatever the case is, um, and get them engaged, ask their opinions, ask uh, uh, for them and they have to pay attention if you're going to ask their opinion because <laughs> you know that whole ego thing again uh, they don't want to be the one to go um, can you repeat what you said uh, right so. so I have a trick and if people I've supervised are watching they might suddenly go aha um, uh, I like to have um uh, anyone who I think is unlikely to be engaged in a meeting, uh, their laptop will be running the screen. I, it's, it's a dirty trick, but <laughs> honestly, it keeps, it keeps, if you've got a person who is less likely to be engaged, um, it keeps them engaged. And I've had some cases that just sort of manages the behavior in some cases actually generates great outcomes because certain personalities just don't do great in meetings. Um, and it all depends on whether the meeting is central to them and by making them a active facilitator of the meeting. 
um, dirty rotten trick, but, and. A, sorry, uh, that, that's a really good idea. Uh, <laughs> I was just going to say um, an HR person uh, once gave me a, another idea, which I haven't used, but they said to get that person to run the meeting, which is similar to what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, so um, I, I'd like to make sure that um, for uh, meetings that uh, don't have great agendas, which sadly too many of them are, um, I will literally at the beginning ask everyone in the room to have one thing that I want them to do during that meeting. And um, they can often be just small contributions. But literally, if you do that right at the beginning of the meeting, everyone then becomes engaged because they're waiting for their turn to speak. And they're like, that thing you were talking about, it's like, oh, they don't want to be the one who wasn't paying attention. Um, it helps. Um, I also like to bring technology to things because, you know, we, we like technology in IT. Um, Microsoft's little wireless presenter is fantastic um, because you just slap into an HDMI port on a TV and then anyone on their Windows laptop can project to it. And then you can literally call on people and say, hey, can you show me this? And that means that no one is going to be on their laptop because they're they're scared that teacher's going to call on them <laughs> to show their screen. Um, uh, I know that's a bit heavy-handed, but it depends on the severity of your problem. And, you know, introverts, they're going to withdraw. And the sense of urgency we feel in dealing with stuff is going to cause us to not prioritize being in the moment during the meeting. Yeah, um, actually, I was going to say uh, one one dirty trick I heard of was... Uh, because I think a lot of meetings have too much fluff in them. Uh, I'm I'm a proponent of quick meetings. Uh, if you see me present, you'll notice that you know I usually go through a slide deck in like 15 or 20 minutes, where a lot of uh, my counterparts will you know take up to an hour, hour and a half, and I'm just like, eh, death by slides, not cool. But <laughs> I've heard uh, if you want to keep a meeting really short, get rid of all the chairs. Yeah, yeah, stand up meetings. Stand up um, meetings because yeah. you'll, you'll get to the point because you want to sit down. I mean, you, you you make everyone stand up for an hour, someone's going to kill you. <laughs> uh, uh, Silent says, uh, it's not oh. a dirty trick if it works. <laughs> uh, I like that. I like that a lot. Uh, um, okay, we've gone over a one hour limit. We've been promising our audience for weeks that we're going to actually <laughs> stick to roughly an hour. Um, uh, uh, Nahid, do you have anything else to add? Yeah, I actually did want to add one last thing. <clears throat> so when dealing with people's emotions, um, it's actually important at the end of it, uh, or another day, depending if they work for you or something like that, or you're going to see them again in the future, um, to revisit that and to figure out, you know, did that really resolve the issue? Are you doing okay now? Um, one of the things that I'll actually do is I'll actually praise the person, um, praise them for coming to me with that problem. And thank you for trusting me with that and, um, letting me help you with that. Right. So, uh, letting them know it's okay, um, that we can actually deal with it together. So, you know what? I love that. Um, I think that, uh, we need, um, providing effective feedback as a future topic. Um, because that's a whole thing in and of itself um, it's tied right into this.
Oh yeah, no, I, I can dump on uh, I can dump on that topic too because I've got some uh, I got some neuroses when it comes to things like that. So <laughs> it would be an, it'd be an interesting uh, conversation, so to say the least. But uh, so uh, I don't know, Michael. Do you, you feel like uh, we should wrap this up? And uh... Uh, yeah, I think I think uh, um, it's it's a good it's a good place to wrap up. And I also think this is a topic that we're going to revisit absolutely uh, more absolutely. in the future. Uh, so if you're in the audience, you're feeling like we're just getting warmed up. We are, um, all right. Let me, let me mention a couple things. Uh, so, um, uh, we have scheduled the next few live streams already with their topics. Uh, if you join us next week, we're going to be talking about threat intelligence and, um, discussing recent cybersecurity events. Um, haven't scheduled a guest yet, but um, we know quite a few people who are more than up to speed. Uh, I myself will be summarizing the latest Verizon data breach investigation report, which is one of my faves. Um, and over in our Discord, there's been quite a bit of uh, talk about um, the, the latest emerging threat. So I think that's going to actually be a pretty lively, less managerial, but <laughs> still cybersecurity topic. Uh, what's the one after that, Moro? Oh, the uh, student one. Uh, that's what I was going to say. We, we we do have a student that we're talking to at the UFC. She is, I believe, the vice president of the InfoSec team or the... InfoSec uh, club at club the there, University yeah. of Calgary. Yeah. Um, so we are very passionate about helping out young professionals and students. And we're trying to kickstart that. And two weeks from now, um, I don't think we picked the format, but what I really want to do is have the students... Ask other professionals questions. I, so I think I we should so get a, a get a group of panelists that you know they can uh, they can kind of uh, pick their brains on, right? So, and then uh, I think the week after that uh, we decided to do a break because uh, I think this Canada Day Canada Day falls either on the day after uh, Canada Day. So, figure you know some people might uh, be over celebrating, especially with the fact that COVID is starting to uh, loosen up, and uh, you know maybe have a few more drinks than they normally would. So, uh, and we can appreciate that and understand that. So, um, okay. So uh, before Michael says anything, I'm going to say hit that like button. If you like this video so that other people can help, uh, or you can help other people find this video. If you haven't done already, please subscribe to this channel. If you found this information useful and uh, yeah, we will uh, hopefully see you guys uh, next week. And I want to say thanks to Nahid, as always. Uh, awesome, uh, awesome conversation, as I expected. And uh, yeah, it was it was great. Great having you on. Uh, Nahid, don't sign off right away. We're going to play the outro music, and then we'll pop back in here off screen. And we'll thank you personally. Um, for our regular Friday night social group, who we used to party with after these were over. We're not on Fridays anymore, but join us on Discord on Friday for our regular Friday night social party, which will have nothing to do with the live stream anymore. Uh, right back to normal. Thank you, everyone. Uh, you may now dance to the outro music. <laughs>